Welcome to The Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Welcome to our next episode, um, looking at the gastrointestinal pathology. We've had a lot of requests about inflammatory bowel disease and what it actually involves and what it is. So we've decided to dedicate the entire episode to ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. It's a pretty pretty hard topic, I'd have to say. It's definitely very complicated, but we'll try to simplify as much as you can to the essence of the entire disease. Mm -hmm. What is inflammatory bowel disease? Well, inflammatory bowel disease is a general term that we call um, when when patients present with a certain set of symptoms, and it mainly comprises of two subset diseases, yeah. Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it needs to be you need to distinguish inflammatory bowel disease from irritable bowel disease (IBS) versus no, irritable IBD. Irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. That's right, yeah. because um, they're two different conditions, and yeah. and it's yeah. Make sure you make that distinction. You you don't get the two confused. Yeah. So let's talk broadly about, and this is a very generic sort of underlying you know pathophysiology of this condition. Mm. What are some theories about how this disease comes about? Well, currently at the moment, a lot of people are researching in the area of how the microbacterial flora of our stomach can relate to, to our health. And I think some people theorize that depending on the microbiota that you have, that might affect whether if you're more likely to get Crohn's. Yeah, exactly. So there's that interaction with the microbiota and that potential mm. for inflammation as a consequence of an over-response to normal flora of the gut. Yeah. Are there any other sort of theories that are being thrown around? I think there is some sort of genetic predisposition that they're also looking into at the same time and also some sort of uh, abnormal mucosal immune response to yeah. certain triggers as well so putting it all together maybe it is a combination of everything but so exactly far, so there's endothelial dysfunction as well where the tight junctions aren't that well bound so you're okay. going to get normal flora leaking into the <laughs> lamina propria and have an in inflammatory response yep. but it's a combination of potential over responsiveness of the immune system issues with the endothelium as well as potential interactions with the microbiota. But let's talk specifically about Crohn's, Andy. So can you just give us a broad definition of Crohn's? Like, what is it? So I would say that it is a um, inflammatory condition of the um, of the body that can involve anywhere from your gums to all the way to the rectum. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, one funny way to remember it is called gum to bum. Yeah. But yeah. So um, and it's a it involves the full thickness of the um, the wall of the gastrointestinal tract. It can cause problems with your bowel motions and it can possibly cause let's say some blood in the yeah we can talk more about the symptoms but yeah. i think as a whole the key thing to remember is that it's transmural which means that it affects the entire layers of the gastrointestinal tract we mentioned that it's often you know defined as anywhere in the gi tract but there's predisposition for specific locations in the that gi tract so, so if so, i was to take a guess yeah. what, are you talking about the ileocecal junction yeah so ileocecal junction is a common hotspot for um for crohn's disease there's yeah. also yeah you can have it in the rectal area as well as, okay as well as the anosigmoid or anal rectal area as well it's you know we mentioned that it can affect any portion of the bowel yep. and it's true it can but there are areas where it has a preference towards so for example in the ileocecal area it yep. can affect 45 percent 45 percent of cases can present when with that ileocecal involvement okay and about 30 to 40 percent can present with anal rectal involvement so there's a wide distribution let's talk about some of the morphological characteristics that you can come to expect so if you open up let's mm -hmm. say someone who has Crohn's disease or have the bowels removed and you open them up 
and you look at the bows, what do you expect to see? Well, one of the things that Crohn's typically presents is that you'll notice that the abnormalities or the lesion areas aren't uh, continuous throughout the whole thing. So they're Unlike osteocolitis, exactly, which we'll talk about. We will contrast it again. So these are things are called skip lesions. So they'll affect a certain part, skip it, and then you know, you'll see a patch of healthy bowel, and then you'll find it elsewhere, possibly. Yeah. You could also see ulcerations um, that occur, as well as these things called cobblestones. But actually, what, what exactly are cobblestones? So cobblestones, which is... I, I recently found out. Yeah. Uh, it actually, if you look at a cobblestone road, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like a cobblestone. Okay, so it's like well, patchy, ways. patchy islands of healthy tissues surrounded by depressed, potentially ulcerated tissues. Interesting. So it gives you that um, cobblestone um, sort of look when you open it up on a, a, on the macrophysiology of it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what um, else? I think aside from cobblestoning, one thing you'll notice is that because it's causing ulceration and there's lots of inflammation repair, inflammation repair processes going on, mm. it can actually cause fibrosis, yep. hypertrophy of the myenteric plexus as yep. well, and also it can lead to stricture formation. So if it's forming strictures, let's say in the anal rectal area, you're at an increased risk of bowel obstructions, right? Because just for the, those who aren't familiar with the strictures, are basically just the narrowing, and, yeah, uh, the narrowing of the intestinal lumen because of the thickening of the wall. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I should have defined that. And and no, so that's, that's what yep. that's what it is. Is yep. that it predisposes to um, bowel obstructions as well. Yes. And aside from that, yep. in late stage you can have creeping fat where the fat in the mesentery yep. starts encroaching onto the serosa, which is that outermost layer of the GI tract. For those who are probably curious of why exactly that happens, maybe it's just because that we we talk about the damage is transmural, so it goes all the way through all the four layers mm. of the gut. The mesentery sits right outside the final serosal layer, right? You Usually with wound healing, there are myofibroblasts that actually cause the wound to contract. So not only the contraction causes strictures, but it could also pull the fat in towards the Yeah, arm. exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's just icing on the cake. But yeah, yeah that's right. And you know how you mentioned that it can cause ulceration? Well, if, if the disease is left uncontrolled, yes. That ulceration can go all the way across the wall and it can actually lead to perforations as oh well. My God. So it's, it's a pretty nasty disease. That is not good. So what happens if you look at it under a microscope, Andy? So you will see the infiltrations of neutrophils because after all, we're talking about an inflammatory condition. Um, and they can come into the crypt cells of the, um, the bowel. So yeah. I think that's what they call a crypt abscess. One characteristic, another characteristic thing of uh, Crohn's disease is that they've got this thing called the non-cassating, um, granulomas. That's very unique to Crohn's. You don't see an osteocolitis. No, so bear that in mind. Yeah. What else actually? So you can get, it's really interesting, you can get that distor- because you get in- neutrophil infiltration into yep. the um, into the crypt area, you can get yep. disruptions in the architecture of the mucosa as well. Okay. So you're going to get, you know, disruptions in the way instead of looking at these beautiful villi that are going upwards into the lumen, you're going to mm-hmm. get it branching, which is a bit unusual. Interesting. You can also get epithelial metaplasia where you get s- stomach cells <laughs> that normally appear in the antrum. Yeah. Starting to present in the um, no. in the affected region. Really? Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. And you can get panic cells as well, which yeah. have this antimicrobial activity. Yeah. They usually present in small intestines, but then suddenly you start seeing it in the colon, which isn't its normal residing location. Yeah. But they're pretty much the histological presentation. So you're going to get inflammatory neutrophil infiltration. You're going to get disruptions in the architecture. You're going to get epithelial metaplasia as well as um, potentially these granulomas as well. Yeah. So symptomatically, though, Andy, how do mm. these patients present? What are some of the key features of, of this syndrome, uh, this, this disease? One thing is that um 
patients will present with abdominal pain and uh, let's say diarrhea. Um, but so the abdominal pain is is very important to note that whereabouts would it be? And as we first mentioned, it most commonly presents in the ileocecal junction. So if you picture that, that's on the right side. And so we're talking about some right lower quadrant pain, right? And that will distinguish that from Crohn's, which has a different, uh, sorry, mm. ulcerative colitis, which has a different characteristic abdominal yeah. pain area. Yeah. Bloody diarrhea could occur if ulcerations happen, but I think bloody diarrhea would probably be more characteristic in ulcerative colitis. And we can talk about why that is, but it is a thing to keep Um, in mind. I think another thing we could talk about is that uh, the patients presenting with fever, weight loss. uh, It is an inflammatory response after all. Yeah. and um, There's some other ones as well that's unique to Crohn's. So remember how we said that it goes across, it's transmural, right? So you're going to get perforations. So that's one thing. Now, unfortunately, because if it starts uh, infiltrating into the wall and there's adjacent structures, you can form fistulas. So if it's in the anal rectal area, you can get bladder fistulas where there's a connection in the the rectum or the anus into the bladder. You can also get vaginal fistulas as well. And that's pretty, it's pretty terrible to to have that. And so we mentioned about perforations as well. And obviously this continuous fibrosis can lead to strictures and obstruction. As a whole, you can have a number of intestinal symptoms but you can also have ex- extra intestinal manifestations as well mm. can you just remind us what some of those ex- um those manifestations are mm, so i think there was this um thing called an erythema nodosum which is like this red kind of rash that presents on the extremities of the body i think people can also get uh, arthritis that migrates called yeah. polyarthritis yeah cholangitis and clubbing are also some other uh, yeah. presentations so clubbing you know often we associate that with respiratory yep. disease, you know, and, and cardiovascular disease. But hey, you can have it in Crohn's as well. I guess the more you learn it, anything can cause clubbing. So <laughs> such a much. vague, such a vague symptom. So now that let's say we've diagnosed the patient yep. with this based on histology and, and, and their symptoms. Yeah. How do we go about treating this condition? With the treatment wise, there is a bit of a stepwise pyramid towards how to treat it. And so with Crohn's disease, you start off with a steroid, a corticosteroid, which could be either prednisolone or and then you supplement that with... A so that's to dampen the inflammatory response, right? It's not true. a chronic treatment because of the side effects of steroids. It's mainly bringing out the disease under control yeah. whilst something else is kicking in. Mm. What's that something else? Are you talking about the azathioprine or yeah. the 6-mercaptopurine, which essentially work on um, their immunosuppressants that also try and dampen down the body's overreaction to, um, to the, the condition. Exactly right. Now, my friend, yes. I've got one question for you. Yes. Um, what happens if oral treatment fails? Do they have an option or that's it? These guys are in trouble? Well, they can certainly try another one, which is an injection called um, TNF-alpha uh, agents, uh, such as infliximab. Yeah, so they're antagonists of TNAR, I believe. Yeah. Yes, and then uh, sometimes that can prevent the disease from going on, but one, they are quite expensive and to the government and number two is that we're trying to limit people from actually going on it unnecessarily i guess yeah so there's a huge cost burden associated but there's a catch what's the catch i think it's uh, so an example of uh, tnf alpha antagonist would be infliximab and that's one of the few agents that's been shown to heal fistulas oh so it heals them yeah it's pretty amazing and i don't think any other agent of this class has been shown to heal fistulas and it can be very effective you know 60 70 percent of patients have have a degree of response which is really good in someone 
someone with such a debilitating condition. Yeah. But like you mentioned, cost is a huge issue. Does surgery play a role in treatment and management? Surgery definitely does. I think what you can do is you can use it to either physically fix the fistulas or possibly... Do they actually remove the segments of the bowel? They can, yeah. I mean, if it's a severe unrelenting disease, you can remove it. But the only problem is there's a high risk of relapse. Okay. So, you know, there's at least 50% risk of clinical relapse within five years, which is massive you just remove the portion of your bowel in the hope of a cure and what happens you have a relapsing disease and it's very common yeah it's even more common if you look at it endoscopically so yeah so surgery can play a role in terms of relieving of their symptoms yep. and short-term management but there is a high risk of relapse because it can affect any portion of the bowel unfortunately yeah unlike um ulcerative colitis are there any newer agents coming on the market that might be of value there's a few i think that that have been mentioned one one mechanism that the immune mediators get into, like the local during inflammation, is this thing called diapodesis. Maybe you should look into that. So essentially, is the um, macrophage? Uh, I think it's the cells that start to stick onto the wall, and then they start rolling along the wall, and then try to f- slide their way through the wall into the local area. I think these agents try to stop the actual adhering of these guys onto the wall. So if they can't stick onto it, they just keep staying inside the bloodstream, and you don't have inflammation. Yeah. Mm. Um. So that's it for for. Chron- so in terms of you can have macroscopic symptoms, you can have uh, sorry macroscopic unique macroscopic presentation. So the more the most unique thing about Crohn's is that skip lesions skip that we lesion. mentioned. Yep. There's also that transmural impact transmural. Of, of the condition. Yep. You can also have that cobblestoning presentation as well, mm-hmm. capacity to form fissures, fistulas, as well as alterations. Creeping fat, yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And in terms of its um, treatment, then you, you have a number of options. You go with immunomodulators. Okay. You go with infliximab, yep. for example, and if the disease continues and surgical options can be considered, but there's a risk of Actually, relapse. I don't think we mentioned smoking. What does smoking do to... Crohn's. Oh yeah, I think smoking. Um, it's very incre- bad for it. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. So you have to. So that's one non-pharmacological approach. Is that because yeah. it increases the risk of relapse quite a lot. So mm. you have to be really mindful of people who smoke. Yeah. Now yeah. let's talk about ulcerative colitis because that okay. flows on pretty well from Crohn's disease. Yeah. So how would you define what this condition okay. is? So uh, ulcerative colitis presents with similar sets of presentations with um, with Crohn's. However, there is a huge difference. This one, instead of the skip lesions, they are um, they are continuous. They have a particular place that they begin and then they will, it's quite characteristic of it. And then the disease itself is more of an ulcerative appearance. So that means it only affects the mucosa and the submucosa. So the superficial layers of the gut. Yeah. Rather exactly. than transmural. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you, so like you said, it's much more superficial. It doesn't go all the way across the wall. No, not at all. And it's predominantly, it's exclusive to the large bowel. So it's, it can affect the rectum. Yep. Most often. So you can have proctitis. Yep. So be- Begins from the rect. Exactly. And then it can often affect the sigmoid and the uh, descending colon. But in some severe cases, it can be pancolitis. So it can affect the entire colon. So that's important to keep in mind. Yes. So what does it look like? in terms of its morphology and histology? So morphology-wise, if let's say if we do an, if we do a colonoscopy, you'll always find that it starts in the rectum and it will uh, progress continuously up. So you won't find the patchy skip lesions that you would see in Crohn's, but it will just be all continuous. The moment you find a place where it stops, odds are that's, that's just going to be the extent from the rectum to that place. Um, as ha- as Hamage, as you mentioned before, was that the furthest it could possibly go is just to, it will always just stay within the colon. Mm, mm, yep. Yeah. 
and it can uh, because of the ulceration the the appearance the mucosa will appear red and inflamed and one of the key characteristics is a, a I think a, this is an exam keyword buzzword it's called pseudopolyps yeah that, that's that important see. this is important for a particular reason because patients with pseudopolyps yep. in particular with ulcerative colitis are at an increased risk of developing colorectal cancer so that's oh, okay. why this disease long term if unmanaged can lead to colorectal cancer so that's really important to keep an eye on these pseudo-inflammatory polyps yeah. but in, in, the, in addition to that because yeah. you're getting this constant ulceration you can get atrophy of the mucosa yeah. and also loss of some of the intestinal folds that you can come to so expect relating that to physiology then we I'd probably say that there's a bit less of water absorption or something maybe, maybe yeah maybe I mean particularly if yeah. it's on the right side on the uh, left side of the colon the stool is pretty much formed okay. so it's not going to be a huge I see. Uh, impact but it's it's important to keep that so in mind what about the wall then is, is it going to be as thick as Crohn's or what's going to happen? Uh, I don't think it predisposes to obstructions. It's just mainly that ulceration. So it predisposes to more rectal bleeding, especially because it's on the left-hand side and you have really hard-formed still. Mm. And so every time there's abrasion, you can get a bit of bleeding. Um, yep. So that's why these patients can present with frank blood as opposed to melina. Okay, so in ulcerative colitis, they get a bit more bleeding. And I, I think what I was um, trying to get at was that instead of like Crohn's, which causes a thick wall, ulcerative colitis has a very thin wall. Actually. Okay. That's so yeah, that's right. So the wall is quite thin, and that's characteristic in ulcerative colitis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, we kind of alluded to the presentation. You can get bloody diarrhea. You can have proctitis, inflammation of the uh, the rectal area, and they can have bleeding every time you pass bowel. You can have mucus in your bowel as well. There isn't really that much. There's a lot of crossover between Crohn's and yeah. and ulcerative colitis in terms of symptoms. You can have your diarrhea. You can still have your stomach pain, but it's maybe on the left side as opposed to the right side, uh, okay. left lower qu- uh, quadrant. Is there any other sort of symptoms? that you think would be, would be relevant? No, I think that that covers most of it. And as as you as you mentioned, so it's the left lower quadrant because it starts from the rectum and goes up the ascending. So that's where we look for it characteristically. Yeah. Treatment? For treatment is slightly different, but also it's still very similar in terms of approach. So before you jump onto really hardcore immunosuppressants like okay. mecaptopurine and azathioprine or cyclosporine, for example, you treat patients with 5-SA, so 5-aminosalicylic acid or salicylates. Yep. And that can have a local anti-inflammatory so response. These guys weren't previously in used in Crohn's, were No, they? I don't. So. I think because Crohn's is so severe, you go for the heavy guns. You so don't you settle with 5-SA. the 5-SA. So. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, guys. If they still have a flare-up yep. as well, yep. in conjunction to 5-SA, you use steroids short-term until okay. the 5-SA kicks in. Yep. If that doesn't work, it's essentially like the appro- uh, treatment approach for, uh, for Crohn's where you go with the uh, immunosuppressant like azathioprine or 6-mecaptopurine. And then if that doesn't work, you go further up into the hierarchy of treatment, you treat them with infliximab, right? For symptomatic management of diarrhea, you can give them antidiarrheal medications as well. Um, But obviously, if they have an infection, you have to be really cautious with giving antidiarrheals because that can lead to megacolon and um, ischemic bowel. So you have to be really cautious. Do you think surgery might be beneficial in these patients? Uh, Since it only progresses in, in a continuous pattern, maybe if we cut out that entire region, it could possibly help? Surgery is curative. You can cure the disease. In a very small percentage of patients, they can have a mixed condition where they can have Crohn's and also have colitis. And in those patients, it's not curative, unfortunately. But in most patients with UC, that's is defined as curing the condition. All right. 
Are there anything else that you Actually, want to talk about? There was a reason why I brought up the um, the cigarette smoking because some studies have found smoking to be actually a bit protective for ulcerative colitis. Really? They they have, and so one of those contrasting factors. So in Crohn's disease, it makes it worse. In ulcerative colitis, it uh, it makes it it has a protective effect. But I think the general risks of smoking greatly outweighs anything yeah. with this protection. So no, the we're not in, we're not endorsing uh, any smoking behavior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know, Andy might be, but I'm not. <laughs> That's, UC That's pretty much UC, isn't it? So yeah. in terms of UC, the key distinguishing features about it is the fact that you can have this pseudopolyps. Yeah. You can have mucosal atrophy and loss of normal uh, folds in the intestinal tract, and as well as uh, having not having skip lesions, which is seen in, in mm. Crohn's. The treatment approach is somewhat similar. Mm. Instead of going all out first, you start with 5-SA. Mm. If that doesn't work, then you go for immunosuppressants, then infliximab, and yeah. surgical options is curative, unlike Crohn's, which yeah. has a higher risk of relapse. Actually, one last thing. I think we didn't mention the histological appearance of oh yeah yeah of, yeah let's UC, mention right? that before we so before we finish off i thought similarly to the crohn's um you have you have this crypt abscesses that is characteristic in ulcerative colitis and i think the other thing that i i made a note of was that you do not have the um the granulomas that you find in crohn's was anything else that no i think that's it up? that's okay. so the key point to remember hist- histology is similar with the exception of no granulomas, and it doesn't affect, it just affects the superficial layers, so mucosa and submucosa. Sounds good. All right, guys, that's pretty much it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening to us. If you have any feedback or suggestions, be sure to let us know, yep. and we'll catch up with you in our next episode. See you next time.